Chapter Thirteen of Colonel Greatheart. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry Eads. Colonel Greatheart by H. C. Bailey. Chapter Thirteen. Mister Bourne is sorry. My Lady Weston had found lodging in Holywell. Therein Colonel Royston was doing his best to amuse her, while Colonel Stow sought her daughter. There was a tiny garden girt, with grey stone, that bore red wallflowers, and Lucinda took her ease in it. She lay back in her chair, white-clad, and her lithe strength gave all its grace. In a rich glow the curls clustered about her brow. Bare neck and shoulder, darker than her dress, as if a mellow light fell about them, were delicately wrought, instinct with life. "'Indeed, you have a wonder of glory to give,' said Colonel Stow, in a low voice. A shadow crossed her face. He was perhaps too much in the vein of Mr. Bourne. "'But, if I give, I give all,' she said, and her gay eyes challenged him. "'I could not take less. Are you strong enough to use all of me?' she laughed. "'Is there a power you have I cannot help?' I wonder. She looked at him long. Sometimes it seems you can set all of me free to be strong and glad. The night, ah, the night was dear, but it is day now, and sometimes I wonder. There are needs in me you do not give, and I want more than you. Colonel Stow did not understand. This differed too vastly from the mood of the night, and the mood of the night was his always. He was a man, and simply made. More than once in life a woman's candor puzzled him. While she looked at him an innocent question, he was miserably grave, so miserable that she broke out laughing. Sure, sir, you will not bear it hard that a woman should find it tiresome to love one man. Tis churlish. Colonel Stow endeavored to laugh with her. If you need another, I'll forgive you, but not myself. I'll have no forgiveness, she said gaily. "'Tis as sour as pity. If you can forgive, you cannot love, and all I do is right. "'I heartily believe it,' said Colonel Stow. "'Alack, poor soul,' quoth she. "'Wherefore you will do my will,' said Colonel Stow calmly. She laughed deliciously. "'I can love you for that.' Before she guessed, he crushed her against him and kissed her. "'Tis agreed,' said he. Her neck was rosy there was wicked mirth in her eyes. Indeed, that was timely, said she, and Colonel Stow beheld Mr. Bourne. Mr. Bourne was a better man than woman. His shoulders set with a style. He stood a fair, sturdy lad, sure of himself. I had not hoped for this, madame. It is a rare delight, but— Nay, I fear it will be scarce that, Lucinda murmured, with a swift, mischievous glance for Colonel Stow. "'But I fear these villains distressed you at Stoke?' Lucinda lay back with one slight arm behind her. "'If you ask why I have come here, sir, faith, I cannot tell you.' And smiling wickedly, she looked from one man to the other. "'Nay, it puzzles me, but I think you know each other's quality.' Upon which neat hint Mr. Bourne admitted the existence of Colonel Stow in a brief bow. Colonel Stow was more polite.' My compliments upon your transfiguration, sir, says he. At least you now look real. It is a beginning. We have all to be infants once. 
Mr. Bourne flushed and glared, and reverted to Lucinda. I trust you have not been in danger through me, madame. I shall always be glad you came to me, said Lucinda in a low voice, and while Mr. Bourne flushed again for delight, she smiled and looked up at Colonel Stow. Indeed, the lad has helped us to a night for which we must always be grateful, said Colonel Stow with an intimate air. Are you so sure? And he saw that strange faint smile of hers. Sir, says Mr. Bourne with some heat, I have a name, and I would thank you to call me by it. Colonel Stow bowed. I could not suppose you were proud of it, he explained politely. For the service you have done Mistress Weston, sir, cried Mr. Bourne, much wroth, I thank you, but— I wonder if you will, said Lucinda softly. It were perhaps better, madame, said Colonel Stow, still with his maddening air of intimacy, if Mr. Bourne stayed away from your presence till he grows up. Lucinda laughed. Mr. Bourne, crimson and stammering, approached Colonel Stowe, his hand on his sword. I am sure my mother needs me more than you, gentlemen, said Lucinda, and fled away. Mr. Bourne was left confronting Colonel Stowe, breast almost upon breast. He was plainly in the extreme of wrath, Colonel Stowe as plainly calm. There must be an explanation between us, sir, said Mr. Bourne hoarsely. I am afraid you are a little dull, Mr. Bourne. Understand me, sir, cried Mr. Bourne, tapping the cup-hilt of his sword. Oh, I understand you. I wish you could understand anything else. I invite you to a walk in the meadow, sir. Soit, said Colonel Stow calmly. I assure you we shall both come back. Mr. Bourne, leading at a high and haughty gait, Colonel Stow following with his natural sobriety, they strode out of the house and off down Long Wall. From behind a curtain casement Lucinda watched them go, and her eyes sparkled joy. Then she ran off to Colonel Royston. Halfway down Long Wall Mr. Bourne turned on Colonel Stow. There is good ground between Merton Wall and the Cheerwell, sir, where we are not like to be disturbed. Colonel Stow bowed. Another matter, sir. If this be not bloodless, we shall be required to give a cause for the quarrel. You will concede that a lady's name should not be made vulgar. You take yourself too seriously, Mr. Bourne, said Colonel Stow with a smile. But if your dignity needs a fairy tale, why, as I remember, your indignation began at some talk of babes. Let us say we disagree concerning the fashion of babies' clothes. Mr. Bourne made an angry exclamation and turning, strode fiercely on. Close upon Cheerwell Bank, where the king-cups glowed, they found short grass and the light falling fair through the willows. Mr. Bourne was for engaging at once. "'Do you insist that I should sweat?' said Colonel Stowe plaintively, and made a gesture of taking off his coat. "'As you will, and how you will, sir,' cried Mr. Bourne. "'Prithee, do not delay. "'There is plenty of time in your life yet.' believe me, said Colonel Stowe, and was meticulous in folding his coat. The swords crossed. Gilbert Bourne came on with fierce vigor and skill. He had the best of the English style. Colonel Stowe knew that, and some others, but Mr. Bourne exercised him. It was necessary to check the lad's fervor. After a parry of prime, Mr. Bourne drew back his blade to make a complicated attack. Colonel Stowe gave point in a stop-thrust. It was all but home in the throat. Mr. Bourne came on, fighting keenly, 
and more keenly still as his blade was countered again and again, till his play was more fierce than safe. To one wild rush Colonel Stow threw back his left foot and dropped his body. While Mr. Bourne's blade gleamed idle over his head, he straightened his arm and his point shot round Mr. Bourne's side, cutting a neat line in the lace shirt. It might as easily have been in the heart. Mr. Bourne knew that as well as Colonel Stow. He recovered and sprang back and hesitated a moment, his eyes searching Colonel Stow's amiable face. Then he came on again, but with more caution, and Colonel Stow found a use for all his skill. Mr. Bourne was fighting for his sword's honor. His anger was under the curb. He called on himself for every trick of the art, and he had more of the quickness of the schools than remained with the soldier of many campaigns. Colonel Stow was pressed hard. He fought it out coolly. He could trust his strength to see Mr. Bourne weaken, but each moment had close perils. Thunder of God! It was a rattling German oath, and with it the swords were struck up, and a big fellow sprang between them. Is there no foe without, that cavaliers should fight each other like rams? Put up your iron, Gilbert. It was Prince Rupert. Tis an affair of honor, sir, said Gilbert sulkily. Your honor is to obey. Put up, man, or you have to do with Rupert. Who is this gentleman? Ah! He knew the man who had saluted him. Who are you? Colonel Stowe made his salute again. Jeremiah Stowe, sir, lately colonel in the service of the Duke of Weimar, and anxious to be in yours. So, the dark brows bent, and in whose service are you killing Mr. Bourne? Colonel Stowe laughed. Sir, if you saw our last passes, you must know it was not Mr. Bourne who was like to need a coffin. Indeed, sir, says Mr. Bourne, Colonel Stowe fights to please me, not himself, and has shown more courtesy than I. So, Prince Rupert looked from one to the other. What is the quarrel? Colonel Stowe smiled with intention on Mr. Bourne, who blushed furiously. Why, sir, there is an age when a man hates to be called a boy, and longs to be taken solemnly. I have offended Mr. Bourne in both parts. I have no gift for being solemn, but I will promise Mr. Bourne to do my best with him hereafter. His swordplay is at least no jest. Colonel Stowe does himself an injustice, sir, said Mr. Bourne quickly. If he had willed it, I had been on the turf. Faith, quoth Prince Rupert, clapping a hand on either shoulder. You are neither slaughterers in earnest, and you do yourselves an injustice to play at it. I will see you join hands. I shall be glad if Mr. Bourne can be my friend, said Colonel Stowe. Mr. Bourne flushed. A struggle was plain in him. Then suddenly he gripped Colonel Stowe's hand. You are always to outdo me, he said in a low voice. Then turned to Prince Rupert. Indeed, sir, I owe more to Colonel Stowe than I can repay. I would pray your highness to consider his claims, for I can warrant him a soldier of courage and resource and to the embarrassment of Colonel Stowe he related the entanglement of Cornet Tompkins. "'I gad, sir, you are a man for me,' cried Prince Rupert. "'What was your service in Germany?' "'I can send your highness letters from the Duke of Weimar and Oxenstierna.' "'Do so, and you shall hear from me,' Prince Rupert held out his hand. "'I am your highness's servant, and if I may speak of him, my comrade Colonel Royston, who is as good a soldier as myself, and of longer service, seeks a commission too. Let me have his papers. We need men. Touching his hat, the prince swung away. 
"'I think we are quits now, Mr. Bourne,' said Colonel Stow with a smile. "'There is the other matter,' said Mr. Bourne. The two men looked in each other's eyes. "'Sir, I fear you have mistook a kindness for something more,' said Colonel Stow. "'You conceive that Mistress Weston honours your affection?' Mr. Bourne cried. "'Sir, I am very sure of it.' There was pity in Mr. Bourne's smile. "'I am sorry,' he said gently. "'She is pledged to me.' "'You mistake,' said Colonel Stow. Again they looked at each other a while, silent. "'You will agree that she should best know,' said Colonel Stow, with something of a whimsical smile. Mr. Bourne looked pity again. "'I am sorry,' he said. "'I am sorry.' Colonel Stow found him irritating, and was glad that the chapel bells alarmed him, and he fled to his post in the King's Guard. Colonel Stow went off to speak with Lucinda. He did not see any humor in the affair. End of chapter 13